I remember in high school history class, um, I had a really fantastic teacher, and one of the things he taught us about world history was the saying, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And there was a theme that I'm sure you've picked up on as well throughout the study of world history, and that is the scramble for power in whatever form that might take, be it political power, uh, the power of wealth, power over other people, um, oppression, that sort of thing. And it always seems to end badly. And yet, in the cycle of human history, we seem to chase our tail after that, that carrot on a stick, if I'm mixing my metaphors here, but uh, that thing that we want, that, that power. And I remember, as a child, the first people that I experienced having power over me, and I'm sure it was the same with you, were my parents. And I remember many times saying things like, that's not fair, and feeling very put upon, and uh, that my parents were being mean or uh, harsh. And as I grew older and as I gained some hindsight and some experience in the world, I realized that while my parents weren't perfect and no one's parents are, they did their best and they were doing what they thought was right for me. Disciplining me and teaching me right from wrong, giving me a, trying to instill within me a moral compass, helping me to set my sights on things that are larger than myself. Because as children, we are completely oblivious to the world around us. It can be very cute. It can also be unbelievably irritating. <laughs> Last night, I saw an example of it being very cute. Uh, we were at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine for the institution and installation of the 10th Dean, who is uh, Bishop Clifton Daniel, who you may remember preaching at my institution here at St. Mary's and who was at one point my bishop in Pennsylvania. And he has a lovely family, and his family were seated up in the choir, uh, so they were facing in, and two little toddlers were amongst them. There were several children of different ages, but two toddlers were right in the front, and they kept running out into the middle of the choir aisle and, and, you know, it's a big place, and there's a, the choir director actually comes out and stands and is conducting, and we're singing this glorious hymn, and here come these little toddlers around, and they were really sort of stealing the show. Everybody was laughing and, and looking at them and taking pictures of them, and here we are in this magnificent cathedral doing this really important liturgical thing, but all eyes were on the children, who had no idea what was going on around them. They just knew that they wanted to play with their little truck in, in, the, in, the, in the aisle. But as we grow, we tend to, we, we hopefully grow out of that. We hopefully gain some eyes and some insight and a wider vision to see the world around us and realize that there are other people besides us. I remember that lesson from my, my father as we would, he did all the grocery shopping and we'd be in the store and I would sort of, I guess, wander aimlessly looking around and, uh, you know, get in the way of other people. This thing in the Midwest, you don't get in the way of other people. And uh, he would say uh, something like, Ricky, you're not the only person in the world. Look around. And so I would have to 
physically stop what I was doing. And th- oh, yeah, there's people here. And so we get that sense about us, that there are other people in the world, and we have to sort of uh, make our way with them. But nevertheless, this, this struggle uh, for, for power, for, for comfort, for the things of this world, never seem to quite go away. That childish nature lives on within us despite our years, despite our experience, despite how uh, enlightened we have become in our older years. That little bit of childishness is always there. And we can see that today with this uh, gospel story of, with James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who get it into their heads that they want to sit at the right hand and left hand of Jesus in his glory. And they have the temerity to actually ask him this favor. And I couldn't, it, it's shocking to read the story every time because I couldn't imagine asking such a thing of Jesus. Now, maybe they had a different idea of what Jesus' glory would be in the end. Maybe they had more of an earthly view of it. Maybe they were thinking more of, of material wealth and power. And the ten, the ten others, become angry with them because they have made this ridiculous request. And Jesus, instead of joining the ten in their anger, sits them down, calls them together, and teaches them. Because over and over again, he gives us the example of what real power is like. It's not sitting on a throne. It's not sitting on a huge pile of money. It's not sitting on a huge uh, stockpile of arms. It is in the opposite of all that. It is in giving away. It is in loving. It is in sacrifice. It is in being vulnerable. And he himself, finally, in the end, shows that to them. We know that throughout his earthly ministry, the disciples had a hard time understanding what exactly he was about and what he was speaking of. Obviously, when they're asking him ridiculous things like sitting at his right and left hand, arguing about who is the greatest among them. The list goes on. And he tells them that the Son of Man must be given over and betrayed and put to death. But I don't think it really sinks in for them until that actual day on Calvary, when he's abandoned by almost all of them, and he dies in the way that is foretold by the prophet Isaiah, which we read uh, today. The prophet says, by a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. But he also goes on to say, Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured himself out to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And then St. Paul says in the letter to the Hebrews, So also Christ did not glorify himself, by becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son, today have I begotten you. So you see, it is in through Christ's 
ultimate sacrifice of himself for all, for all time, that his power flows, that his greatness flows, that his name is remembered for all time, that we gather here week by week, year after year, century after century, proclaiming his death and resurrection. Because through the waters of baptism, we share in that death and resurrection. And so we are heirs of that calling of Christ. And so while we always have that little seed of of childishness implanted within us, and while we always hear those tempting uh, voices from time to time who want us to do uh, the thing that would make us feel good or the selfish thing or the thing that might not be good for someone else, but you think it might help you out in the short run, while we always have that in the background, that, that sort of background noise, what we have before us is the image of Christ crucified, the image of the greatest sacrifice ever made for humankind. And we have that image that is of that crucifixion, which is grafted into us in our baptism. And so we too, now in this time, are the heirs of that promise. And we must always remember what Jesus says to his disciples and not get caught up in the small details and the small struggles of this world. Yes, we have to navigate through our earthly life, and we, have to, we need to do it the best way that we can. And yes, some people are placed in roles of power and others are not. So if you find yourself in a place of power, think about how a Christian would exercise that power. How we're not like those that Jesus speaks of who lord authority over other people. But to be a person in a position of power is to be a person who serves first and foremost. We must always have that, uh, that image and that orientation in our hearts of Christian service. For therein lies true power. Jesus said, you know that their great ones are tyrants over them, but it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So it is through love and service and sacrifice to others that we find true power, the power of God's love, God's reconciliation, and the coming of his kingdom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.